Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Um, we're going to be starting off with another great discussion on Coach's Corner here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by this evening's special guest, Brad Adams. He is the founder and CEO of Bloodline Golf. Uh, he'll be joining me on the second half of the show, so I'm excited to uh, have him tonight and uh, have a great conversation with him. Don't forget, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network, we are live. Uh, so this is a live broadcast. It's not uh, pre-recorded. It is recorded at the time of the broadcast. Uh, so those of you that can't join live can listen in a little bit later. So best way to find us uh, later on, if you're not tuning in live, is go to blogtalkradio.com. Uh, forward slash golf talk live and you just scroll down to the on demand section and uh, all of the previously aired shows including tonight's will be there after the broadcast and you can listen to it and it's a more convenient time for you but for those of you tuning in live tonight uh, as always thank you for joining us uh, i'm going to introduce the coaches corner panel and we'll get into tonight's discussion here uh, i got a good one for them so hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have a, a very robust discussion and help some of you golfers out there so first up i'm welcoming back uh, to the show he's been on a little bit of a a golfing hiatus. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Uh, is Pete Buchanan? Uh, Pete's been teaching golf now for over 30 plus years. Uh, he is the founder and director of instruction of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which of course houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, he's been helping uh, golfers focus on building a repeatable swing. Uh, also joining uh, the the uh, group is Sue Weger. She is a number one best-selling international author, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach coach, excuse me, and she has been teaching as a LPJ Class A golf professional for over 26 years and is the owner of Uyghur Consultant. Uh, and her book, Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, is available at Amazon.com. So, Pete and Sue, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. It's good to be Thanks, here. Thanks, Ted. Yeah. All right. I, I appreciate it. And, yeah, and, and as I said uh, very briefly, um, Pete's just back from, uh, you had a nice surprise. Uh, you can just maybe tell the, the listeners the nice surprise you were greeted with for, uh, for your big 60th. Well, my wife and kids put together some golf trips throughout the rest of the year. Um, my wife contacted some of the folks that uh, I've come across in my 30 plus years of teaching, whether they're former instructors, players, coaches, students, and, um, she got together with them and planned all these different trips and, um, well, there's about 15 of them or so that we're going to be doing throughout the year. So it's a great surprise coming up for, for the birth. It's not till July, but uh, 
I'm still playing the forward tees anyway because I'm celebrating my birthday wherever I go. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point to make. Uh, always play those forward tees uh, whenever you can. Uh, it makes the game a little yep. more enjoyable. Some great, some great, uh, there you go. A great tip in your uh, birthday celebration. So congratulations, Pete. And, and obviously a uh, thank you to your wife uh, for doing such a great job and, and honoring you with such a, uh, a perfect surprise for a golf professional. Yeah. Um, all right. So absolutely guys, we're going to, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about um, seven trouble shots that most of you out there probably need to know. And uh, Pete, just because you've been on a little bit of a break um, in the last month, uh, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, and the first one is the uneven fairway bunker lie. Uh, really could apply to any bunker, but uh, we're going to tackle the fairway bunker lie. And, and, and this is something that, you know, a lot of people don't really practice a lot, don't factor in. And well, you're going to find yourself in that situation where you've developed, uh, you know, hit your shot into a fairway bunker. And unfortunately, you've got an uneven lie. So there's a little extra factor in there to, to deal with. Talk about some of the, the steps that are needed to be, uh, that a golfer needs to take. And I know we don't have the, the benefit of visual here, but, you know, as best you can sort of talk about what we're trying to achieve here uh, in order to make sure we make good contact and get the ball out of this uh, situation. So the uneven fairway bunker lie. So. Well, I think the first thing you're always going to have to consider is what is the lip of the bunker in front of you and what loft of club are you going to need to get over it? That's always going to be the first consideration. You know, we're always inclined to want to look at the distance first, but you've got to get over the lip that's in front of you. So if it's not too deep, then you're going to be okay with that. But anytime the, the, the ground's uneven, you know, it, it just becomes a little bit more of an effort when you're when you're a fairway bunker because you you know you, your stance is a little bit unstable. So you want to try to get it your, your feet into the sand as best you can. But depending on which lie you have is going to depend on how you set up. So if it, if it's above your feet, the ball's actually a little bit closer to you. You know, it would benefit you to to choke up on the club a little bit, and you're going to want to make a swing that's a little bit more rounded, uh, so you can you know fit the slope there. The opposite side, if it's below your feet. You know, the ball, ball's actually further away from you, so you're going to have to bend forward a little bit to get to it. And, you know, that's going to require a little bit of a more upright swing to make that happen. So those two also, when you're looking at the severity of the slope, if it's above your feet, the ball may tend to go a little left. If it's below your feet, it may tend to go a little bit right. So you're going to want to look at your aim and try to figure out what's going on. I think the toughest one is is uh, when it's downhill um, because – you know, you, you've got to set yourself at right angles to the, the bunker slope and still give yourself a chance to catch that ball first. And I tend to play that one a little bit further back in the stance so you can catch it. Um, and then the one that's going to benefit, you know, more than anything else to getting the ball up above any kind of lip in front of you would be on an uphill lie. Uphill is going to add some pitch to it. Um, so you're going to be able to get the ball up in the air a little bit higher, um, you know, versus the one that's downhill, which is going to take some loft off. So if you've got a lip in front of you, you've got to go with some, uh, you know, a, a bunch of loft on the club to get it over that. Um, so you really have to adapt yourself relative to the situation that you're in, but then also consider that, you know, now you're hitting in the sand, you got to hit the ball first. And so you have to be aware of, of making sure you've got the, the ball contact and not getting the ball too far out of position from, from your stance uh, so that, you, you know, you're going to miss hit it. But I would also say, too, you know, you probably want to take this you know, a little bit less than than what your full shot's probably going to be. You know, just get it back in play. Get it down the fairway. It's unfortunate that you hit it in a fairway bunker, but then on a bad lie to boot, 
So, you know, I would just try to get, you know, a fit to the situation depending on which slope you have. And then, you know, just take a club that can advance it down the fairway and give yourself a chance to, to get the next one up on the green. Um, you know, don't try to, to bite off too much, uh, you know, in those fairway bunkers when the lie is not conducive. They're hard enough as it is when the lie's flat. So it's, uh, you know, you want to just make sure that you get yourself down the fairway as best you can. Yeah, and that's some uh, well said. That's some great advice because, uh, again, you know, you, what you want to really the key, I think, with any tough lie, and particularly something like this, is you want to set yourself up to make the shot as normal as possible. And I know that seems like a little bit uh, challenging in some cases, but you, 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 know, you need to make appropriate adjustments. But the, the first thing is, that you pointed out I think is so um, paramount is you need to really assess the situation. And don't worry so much for the time being, the distance, that's something that will obviously have to be factored in. But in a case like this, the last thing you want to do, depending on the distance that you are, and I mean, some fairway bunkers might be a long bunker shot. Sometimes it might be a little bit shorter. Um, but you want to keep yourself in play. The last thing you, you want to do, obviously, is is to sort of try to play a hero shot. Um, you know, when you've got 185 yards to the green, you're not a great bunker player to begin with, and now you're going to try to clip one, you know, with a four iron or something like that um, and hit the lip and end up rolling back in or, or what have you. So, uh, you know, try to make it as normal as possible. And as you pointed out, Pete, is just get it back in play. Um, unless you know and are confident you can make this shot and get it on the green or, or whatever the situation is, um, that's one thing for some of you more skilled players. But for some of you high handicappers, I would much rather you take a, a club to ensure you're going to get over the lip and just get it back in play, get it out in the fairway, and try to maybe lay up to a yardage that you may be going with a full wedge shot or something along that line. So great, great, uh, some great points that you made, and, and uh, I think you hit everyone right on the head. Um, Sue, uh, we're going to stick with bunkers for a second. This is another one, too. Um, and, and again, you can use any scenario if you want a green side or what, but, uh, a buried bunker lie. This is a situation too, where, um, you know, the, the, the ball is, is, you know, buried down. Sometimes, um, it might be half the ball. Sometimes it might be more. Um, this is going to take, uh, some adjustments as well. What do we got to do here? We step in, we see that it's buried. What do we got to do here to help get this out? Yeah, the first thing is, is, you know, you you look at you look at the lie and find out okay, is it completely buried or is it half buried? That type of thing. Um, and I think in regards to if it's even if it's an uneven lie, that's what's an, another you know difficulty in regards to you know the assessment of the actual shot. You know, if it's an uphill lie, um, you want to make sure that your shoulders are matching the uphill lie. Um, that's the first thing. The other thing is, is you're going to play, if the ball is completely buried, I won't say completely buried, but, you know, let's say half buried, you want to use um, as much loft as you can. So a lot of people that don't carry like 60 degree wedges or, um, you know, like 56 degree wedges, um, they're at a disadvantage right away. So you want to, you know, play with as much loft as you can. And like Pete was saying, you have to match um, your setup to the lie angle of of the shot, so it's um, it's you know it's you you kind of pick and choose. If the ball is uh, you know if it's downhill, then your shoulders have to match the slope going downhill, um, and that's that's probably one of the hardest shots in in a bunker is a downhill lie, and it's being buried. <laughs> Most mm, of the time right. you usually don't get downhill. 
yeah, you don't usually get downhill lies that are buried, but um, yeah, that's the one of the that's the the one of the first things that I would tell everybody is like, okay, you have to match your setup has to match the lie angle of the slope, um, and then take as much loft as you can in regards to um, and you play the ball off your back um, off your back foot, and it's it's basically it's um, you know I call it a chop swing because that's what it basically it is. Um, and you want to like de-loft the club a little bit, not too much, but um, because you want to have that leading edge be a digger type of a shot. You don't want people think that, okay, well, if it's in the bunker, I need to open up my blade and have bounce. And I'm like, not in a buried lie, you don't. You want to use the leading edge so that it digs and it pops that ball up, up and out of it. So, um that's what I would tell people is like, okay, assess the assess the lie angle of it. Is it going uphill? Is it going downhill? Is it side hill? Just like Pete was saying, is like you have to match the <clears throat> match the slope of the of the shot um, that's in front of you. And a lot of people don't do that. They just kind of like, well, it's buried, so I'm just going to like chop it out of there. Um, but you want to make sure that your um, your setup matches the slope of the hill in the bunker. Well, if it's like I said, side hill or uphill or down, <clears throat> excuse me, downhill, um, those are the most important things you want to do. But you want to dig it out. And so I tell people, it's like, okay, you want to lead it. You want to use the leading edge of the club, um, not the bounce of the club, because the ball is buried. And that's the advice I would give people. That, you know, again, assess the. Uh, the lie angle of the of the slope, and then match up the body to that particular slope, uh, and then play the ball off your back foot, and basically it's like a chop swing, um, you know, coming out of it. That's what I would tell people. Yeah, and and essentially what you're going to do in this, just to uh, to follow up a little bit, is regardless of the lies, you're going to want to hinge your wrist a little bit more abruptly as you mentioned, because you're, you're actually wanting to dig into the sand a little bit more. You're going to actually take a lot more sand. You're going to essentially blast it out. Um, and the leading edge, right. as you said, you want it to get under the ball. Um, one of the things that, you know, as you pointed out, what you don't want to do in a case like this when it's buried, um, regardless of how much, is you don't want to open up uh, the club face. In fact, it's better to have it square. And in some cases, if it's really buried, you might even want to slightly close the club face a little bit because, again, you want the club to basically dig down and you're blasting the right. ball. You're going to take a lot of sand out. It's really what you're trying to do is pop it out of the bunker and just get it back into play because you're not likely going to be able to control the shot because of the amount of sand. So you're exactly right. Follow the slope. As Pete pointed out in his bunker, uh, keep the club face either square or maybe slightly closed depending on the, on the depth that the ball is sitting in. And regardless of the lie, you want to be able to bring that club, uh, hinge your wrist a little more abruptly in the backswing, and as you follow through, almost thump it into behind the ball. And, again, the, the um, follow-through is going to be very abbreviated in most cases. Uh, again, you're just trying to pop the ball out. And that's why if you watch a lot of the pros, you'll see them do that, where they just sort of pop it out. You'll see a wall of sand come out, and then the ball will sort of pop out. And there's not going to be any backspin or anything because you're not actually going to be able to make uh, contact with the club, so uh, with the club face rather. So um, well said. Um, I, I think we we got that one as well. Um, Pete, I'm going to come back to you, and and this is one here um, again that people find themselves particularly around the the green, and that is a deep rough chip. So 
you know, it's great when you got a nice lie to chip the ball and, and get it rolling and whatnot, but sometimes you plunk into that deep rough around the greens uh, or just off the greens, and, uh, it, you know, it might be sitting down a little bit. It might be sitting up, depending on the sit, but in most cases it's probably going to nestle down in that deep rough. How do we chip uh, the ball here? What do we got to do in our setup and to make sure uh, that we're going to be able to get the ball out and with some sort of success? Well, the first thing we're going to have to do is you're going to need some loft to get out of there. Um, I think the biggest mistake people try to make when they go to, to either pitch or chip a ball around the green is they take too little loft, and so they just hit the ball forward into the grass, and so it never comes out of there. So you want to have a lot of pitch to begin with, and I would also set the face more open because you're coming in there, the grass is going to catch that face, and it will tend to turn it and may close it down a little bit more. So if you can keep it open just a bit, it'll also help the bounce slide through the grass. So it'll tend to not grab the club as much. So I'd have it a little bit open, take a little bit of loft, and, you know, your goal and in, in any time you're buried in anything is to get it out. You know, that's the, the first issue. If you can get it out and close to the green or get it on the green, that's even better. But, you know, you, I would always start with, with more loft. And as Sue was talking about, if, if you don't have, you know, a 56 or a 60 in your bag, you're, you're, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice if you play courses that have rough like this. You're going to need it. You're going to need the loft to help you in these situations. So it would benefit you to get those clubs with more loft on them. But I was always always take a little bit more loft. I mean, the swing is going to be one where, you know, you don't want to get it too shallow or too level. Um, you, as you said, when you're you're buried in the sand, I I like to look at that. And sometimes you know, buried in the grass, you want to to have a little bit more hinge into it, let it come up and down a little bit more, so you can get down into the grass to get underneath it. Uh, you should be able to get a little bit underneath the ball. Um, you know, if you, if you see yourself in deep grass and it's all the way down there and it's buried on the floor, well, you know, those are the ones where we usually say, good luck. Those are hard to get out of. You know, you just want to get it out of that position. But you should be able to get underneath it a little bit. So I would open it up a bit. Um, I wouldn't play the ball too far back in your stance, uh, maybe just a little bit behind center. Um, I'd keep a little bit of weight forward. And then I would, you know, feel like it's going to hinge up and down a little bit more. And you just want to toss that club, you know, right into the grass behind the ball and, you know, allow the loft and uh, the, the bounce on that to sort of slide the grass out of the way and, you know, just pop that ball up in the air and get it moving forward towards where you're going. Yeah, well said. And and you're exactly right. A good uh, option, like especially when you're dealing with the uh, deeper rough, is a sand wedge is, a, is probably one of the best choices. Uh, again, obviously, depending on the distance and that, but. Uh, typically is a good choice because you really, again, like we talked about the other shots, you really want to get this out. Um, and the extra weight in the sole uh, will help slide that club face under the ball. Uh, and what I, I typically uh, have my students do is, you know, have the weight forward a little bit, maybe play the ball in the middle or slightly back in your stance. And you want to make a steep backswing by hinging your wrist right off the ball. Uh, so if you want to visualize the a correct motion, picture the letter V. Uh, so again, the steeper uh, you swing the club in the back and down, the higher the ball will pop out on the other side. So again, you're kind of bringing the ball, uh, the club up quickly, and you're coming back down into the ball and up again, and up, that should pop it out. Uh, again, you're because you're not making good contact with the lines on your wedge, uh, you're not going to really get any backspin or anything like that. So again, you're just trying to get it out of that trouble because it is a trouble uh, when it's in deep rough like that. So those are some things. Uh, again, great uh, great points there, Pete, um, in, in how to execute a, a, a chip shot when you find yourself in some deep rough. Um, Sue, so I'm going to come back to you on this one, and this is something that 
Um, and, and there could be a variety of scenarios. It could be, uh, you know, some trees, uh, might even be, a, depending on some course, could be a, a mound, uh, a large mound or something uh, out uh, on the, mm-hmm. the fairway, uh, off the side of the fairway. But playing over trouble, sometimes you get your situation where the ball's behind that and you need to execute a shot that's going to get you over that trouble. So what are some of the steps um, that we need to do what, as far as how do we select uh, the right club, um, when we figure out the distance, and what do we need to do is in our setup, maybe as an example, uh, to make sure we're going to execute that shot and, and, and fly it over, whether it be a tree or, uh, or a mound, as I said. Give us some, some thoughts here. Yeah, I think the first thing you have to do is kind of just evaluate kind of what you have in front of you. Do you have, you know, is it a tree, is it a mound? Um, the other thing is I always tell my students is they look at the lie of the ball as well. Because if the ball is sitting up, you have more better, you have a much better chance of, you know, using a wedge to, you know, fly, either under the tree or, um, you know, over the mound. So I think you just have to evaluate kind of like what the ball, where the ball is in regards to, you know, the lie angle. First off, um, because then you can actually determine, okay, so is it a pitching wedge, is it a sand wedge, or is it a, you know, even a 60 degree wedge, for example. Um, because, you know, if you're in the middle of a fairway and all of a sudden you're in front of a mound, you're not going to hit, you're not going to be able to hit, and you're maybe you're 210 yards out, you're not going to be able to hit a three-wood over that mound. So um, I think sometimes a lot of people, you know, try to go for things that um, that don't make sense. Um, you know, and I just tell people, I said, play safe, first of all, you know, evaluate what you have in front of you um, and then go from there. So... If you have to, I mean, you see the men and women on the on the PGA and LPGA tour. Sometimes they just fly right over the um, over the trees, um, and that's good. I mean, they can do that, um, but not all amateurs can do that. <laughs> so um, I just tell people, it's like, you know, look at your, evaluate the shot that you have in front of you, look at the lie angle, um, and determine, you know, uh, is it a, is would it be smart to play safe? And, you know, like I said, if you're 210 yards out, for example, and you're, you know, behind a mound, are you still going to be able to, you know, what 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 would be the uh, most common sense to use in regards to what club? Um, and, again, the lie angle de- determines that as well. So I just tell people, like, look at, look at the total case scenario. Don't look at just the lie angle and look at the mound in front of you or the tree in front of you. Um, you know, what's best for you to, you know, advance the golf ball and play safe. And that's what I always tell my players is like, okay, you know, this case scenario, can you reach, can you reach the green? Yes, no, maybe. Um, if it's a maybe, then I would tell them, then let's play safe instead of, you know, thinking, okay. Um, I have a much better shot of, you know, trying to get my, you know, let's say maybe even a seven wood over the mound. Um, if it's like, for example, 210 yards out. So again, it kind of depends on the the case scenario. But um, I just tell people is like, look at look at what's out in front of you, um, and play play the smart shot. Don't play the dumb shot. Play the smart shot. <laughs> right. No. That and that's a great some great points. You know, really, what you want to do in any situation like this, if it's a standard shot, you know, it's it's for the most part, uh, depending on your skill level a pretty simple decision. But when you're faced with something like this, what you have to do is you have to look at a number of scenarios. So, you know, if you're, if, 
if you're a, a reasonably good player and you're what you want to do is play the highest percentage shot that you know you're capable of hitting. So when you talked about looking at the green, the distance from the green, okay, if you're a, a mm-hmm. good player and it's not a huge mound and you're pretty confident you can clear that mound and get it down to that green, um, you know, then that might be with a high percentage of, of success, then that might be a shot you right. might want to risk. Um, but if, if right. you know, if you're only going to get that shot 30% of the time, then that's a higher risk. So then look at your next option. Um, maybe it's just advancing it, getting over the mound, and, and again, setting up for another shot that you know you're going to successfully hit, getting up to that wedge distance or getting up to another uh, club distance, mm-hmm. um, and, and look at what's the percentage of me you know, getting up and down from here in that situation. So you want to evaluate always your situation. Uh, and one thing when you're going over, uh, just touch real quickly on trees, um, is how close are you to the tree? You know, when you look at the pros a lot exactly. of times when we're looking on a camera and, you know, we're looking on TV and it looks like they're, you know, real close, but actually they might be 30, 40 yards behind the tree, but the tree is just an obstacle. Right. They can't maybe go around it because of the size of the tree. So, and again, how tall is a tree? If the, you know, if the, if the tree is, you know, 75 feet tall and it's bushy and, you know, like a live oak, um, you know, they're not probably going to go over that if they're up close to it. So you know, they're going to look at other options right. and we're going to talk about one of them in just, uh, just a moment. But so, yeah, you have to assess the situation, but more importantly, once you have done that, you have to assess your ability um, factoring in a number of different options. What's the best option for you? And what, you know, if you've got three options and let's say one's at 30%, one's at 50% and one's at 70% uh, success rate, the, the smart play is to go the one with a 70% success rate. You might end up losing a stroke yeah. in the long run, or might just lucky to make par, but that's the shot that you want to play is the one that gives you the highest percentage of success. Otherwise, you're just running the risk of turning what could be a, a decent score or saving par to now a double or even triple bogey shot. So that's what you have to factor in when you're doing that. Pete, we're going to flip it around here, and uh, now we're going to talk about going under trouble. Uh, so obviously, we're going to exclude the mound out of here. We can't go under the mound, but it could be tree or some other obstacle on the course that we might have to go under. What do we need to do here to set things up correct? Well, I think the first thing you need to look at is if, if you're going to hit it lower, you got to have some lower loft. I think a lot of times people will take too much pitch when they're trying to go underneath something. They end up pitching it right into the tree branches or, or whatever they're trying to go under. So make sure you have a, a little bit less loft on it. And the other thing you want to do in these situations that, that, I get a lot of my players to do is, is I take more like a three quarter shot, but not as much pace because speed will create lift. So if you swing it real hard, you're going to lift it higher up in the air. So we try to take maybe a little bit more club, take about a three quarter swing. That's going to dial the pace down. And that way you can get the ball to fly lower coming off of impact. Uh, You can move the ball back a little bit, but I wouldn't move it back too far. So you, you know, you can still catch it fairly solid. Um, but I wouldn't play it forward in the stance because that's obviously going to let it lift up in the air. So, you know, a little bit behind center would be fine. But, you know, taking a little bit less loft, uh, even if you, you really need to get it lower, you could you could set the handle forward and maybe de-loft it just a little bit more. Um, but then I would take, you know, a swing that's about three-quarter length and one that is, is about three-quarter speed. And that way you can get a little bit more, uh, you know, contact onto the golf ball but keep the ball flying down lower doesn't fly so high. I mean, I grew up in Kansas, so, you know, we didn't have to hit it under things other than the wind when I was growing up. So we had to learn how to hit these shots like that. So we did that quite often. 
where we would take, you know, a little bit more club, take a little bit less swing, and that way we could keep the ball down lower and we wouldn't lift it so high into the air. So that's that's the thing I would look at. And, you know, first off situation is, you know, getting it underneath it, um, making sure you have the loft that's going to make that happen, and then also look at, you know, the direction you're going and, and is there a safe area for you to hit it to? You know, sometimes you can't mm-hmm. get all the way to the green because you can't carry it far enough. So if you're not going to be right. able to carry it far enough hitting it that low, then where's the safest place to leave it so you can you can play the next one? So you always have to look at that too. You know, a lot of times it's about it's about leaving the shot that you're hitting in a certain place rather than always trying to get to the green. Where where can I put this ball in the best situation so that I can play the next shot? You know, and I, I like what Sue was saying. She was talking about you know some some of the dumb situations. You know, I always heard a double bogey, which is two over what you normally shoot is a is a bad shot followed by a dumb one. You know, so you get in a bad situation and then you you know totally cleave it up by doing something you shouldn't do. You know, and mm-hmm. so you, you have to be you have to be very critical thinking in these situations to make sure that you know look at the situation, get the right loft to hit it low enough, get the ball back in your stance a little bit, you know, shorten the swing down, slow it down, and then you know from there making sure you can pull it off like you were talking about, get the percentages right, and then you know where's where am I going to leave this? If I hit this, you know, I can only hit it about X number of yards. Where's the best place for me to leave it, or is that too far? Maybe I should, you know, leave it a little bit shorter so I have a better shot on the next one. But, yeah, always trying to, to, to work ahead instead of playing from behind. You know, look at where you're trying to put this ball and, um, you know, what's the best situation for you to leave it in so you can play the next shot. Yeah, well said. And, you know, I always look at it. We, we talked about last week uh, on, on the panel, one of the questions – was, uh, you know, talking about playing from the green back to the tee. And sometimes I think if you look at a hole from that perspective, it's thinking, okay, if I'm on the green, where do I want my, where do I want to play my approach shot? And I look back on the fairway and I think for a second, especially on a course that you play a lot, you're familiar with, with how the course and well that ticker hole is laid out. And instead of thinking it from the tee shot right away, let's think about on the way back. So where do I want to be for my approach shot and then work from the next shot back? So if I find myself in trouble, I know where I want to lay my ball up for that good approach shot. If I know I can't hit that green, um, even if I'm not going to hit it in regulation, I know where I want that ball to be um, so I can have a good approach shot um, from the fairway. So it might be, you know, again, if I'm going under trouble, I don't necessarily have to try to run it up on the green. If I'm in a position where I'm close enough and I can do that, great. But if I'm not, let me just punch it out and let's get it in a position where now I've got a good, uh, comfortable shot. I might, as I said a moment ago, I might lose a stroke here and there, but I would rather do that than create a scenario where I'm just banging off a tree and it's gone back in even deeper into the woods or, or made even a, a, you know, a bad shot even worse. So for something like this, when you're you know, forced to play under trouble, um, you know, again, you're trying to affect the height of the shot. Um, I'm always a firm believer is if you take care of most of the work in your setup. So as Pete, as you pointed out, if you're wanting to hit that ball low, you know, play it off towards your back foot, move your hands, you know, the, lean the shaft a little bit forward. This uh, is one way to help deal off the club. And if typically, you know, you hit a seven iron this distance, um, you know, you can still use a seven line iron, but by delofting it, it now plays maybe more like a five iron. So it's going to give you a little bit extra run because you're delofting it now. Um, but it's a short enough club that you can control the, 
uh, the swing. And then just it's a, a, a shorter back swing with even a shorter finish. Again, you're wanting to sort of punch it out of that position or hit it below those trees. So um, it all starts with the setup, but before that, it even starts a little bit earlier with really assessing the trouble and what are the percentages that you're going to be faced with in executing those shots. So those are things that you have to think about with regardless of any of these shots that we're talking about tonight is what is the likelihood I'm going to succeed um, with maybe a standard shot or with the adjustments I'm going to make and then consider other options as well, just getting it back in play. Sue, this one here is for you is, uh, again, this can be in any situation, but ball above your feet. Um, uh, it's very similar to in the bunker shots, but, you know, maybe you've got that sort of uphill side hill lie. Uh, you've got it pretty open. You're not really going around trouble, but this is one sometimes that stymies uh, because the ball reacts a little bit different than it would if it's on a flat uh, surface on the fairway. So tell us how we need to set up for that and what we adjustments we need to make and why we need to make those adjustments. Yeah, well, the ball when the ball's above your feet, when you set your club down, the club is going to aim left. So you have to be very careful on where you're aiming because that golf ball is going to go left um, um, because of the lie angle. So when the ball is above your feet, club face um, basically, I would say, shuts down a little bit. So the first thing you want to think about is like, okay, you know, can you aim? Number one, can you aim a little bit right? Um, because sometimes you can't because, you know, there might be a tree or might be a hill or might be something that's out in front of you. Um, so you need to assess that to find out, okay, can I aim a little bit to the right? And the less loft you have, the more curvature you're going to get in. Um, so if you take, let's say, a a six iron versus a seven iron, your six iron is going to go further left than your seven iron because it has has less loft. So you have to assess that. So you look at, okay, think about it this way, like, okay, how far am I out, you know, from the green, for example, um, and then look at um, the direction that you want to go and the yardage. So when you are... Um, looking at the golf ball above your feet, you actually have to stand up a little bit taller because your posture, if you're bending over too much, you're going to, you're going to dig that club into the, you know, into the, uh, into the hill, for example. So you want to make sure that, you know, you have the right posture to match the slope um, going into the shot. So again, depending on where you're at in regards to if you're in the fairway or let's say you're, um, you know, off the fairway and the ball's above your feet, what's the yardage that you're going to go to? Because when you're standing, like I said, when the ball is above your feet, the ball's going to go left. So you want to look at the yardage. Um, it it may be, like, again, depending on what, how far you are away from the green, that golf ball is going to go, it's going to go left. But you always want to assess, okay, what's the yardage that I have here? Um, and then... You know, set up your posture so that your posture matches the slope. Because too many people, they think, well, I just have to take my normal posture when I'm when the ball's above my feet. That's not true. You need to stand up a little bit taller because the ball's above your feet. So right. you just need to, yeah, you need you need to assess it um, and understand. Okay, what do I do here in regards to yardage, the lie angle, um, the loft of the club? Because, like I said, the less loft you have, the more the golf ball's going to go left. So you want to make sure that 
you know, you are taking the right club based on the situation that you're in the situation at hand. So that's what I would tell my players. Yeah, and, and as you pointed out, there are a number of things to, to factor. So when you've got a situation like where the ball is above your feet, and, of course, we're talking about uh, right-handed golfers here. Um, obviously, you would mm-hmm. do the reverse if you were somebody that plays left-handed. Your situation can be a little bit different. The ball is going to go to the right uh, for you. But typically when you uh, uh, place your club down on the ground in a situation like that, a lot of time it sits on the toe. So you want to make sure that you level it out uh, and make sure mm-hmm. that the heel also is touching the ground. So that's what you're talking about, making those adjustments. So, in effect, the angle of the slope makes the club longer. So you want to stand taller, yeah. grip down, maybe an inch or two on the handle, depending on the severity of it. And the shaft uh, mm-hmm. will be more uh, horizontal at the dress. So the club moves more around your body in a case like creates more club face rotation and can cause, as you pointed out, the ball to move right to left. So whenever possible, you want to aim uh, to compensate a little further right of your target. Um, so if, if you're trying to, you know, got a shot that you're going to go for the green, uh, a couple of things, as you point out, you want to factor is how much right do I need to aim in order to make sure that with the, mm-hmm. the severity of the slope that it's going to come back on target. Um, and also because you are going to get uh, that right to left shot, um, you have to expect, number one, that the ball flight is probably going to be a little bit lower. So, you, yeah, you want to maybe uh, increase the, mm-hmm. the loft a little bit to help compensate, uh, and you're going to get more roll. So you have to factor those things in as well. Have you got bunkers in front? So, again, you have to really assess the situation um, and make those adjustments. Mm-hmm. You're not just addressing it normally. Um, you're making those adjustments ahead of time. And again, as I said with all the others, is you want to play the highest percentage of success that you can achieve based on your level. If you're a better player, you can be a little bit more aggressive. If you're not such a good player, just get it back into play. Get it, you know, advance up the fairway. Uh, that's going to be probably your best shot. Um, again, depending if you know what your handicap is. So that's what I would suggest is make the adjustments as, as mm-hmm. Sue pointed out and, and so forth, but uh, really assess your situation and play to your ability and not somebody else's. Uh, so great point. Right. Um, Pete, this is a good one for you. <laughs> You're going to love this one. Uh, playing from a water hazard. Now, there's, I look at it this way. Before you try the shot, you have to, have to ask yourself two questions. The first one is at least half of the ball above the water. Now, I'm talking about if you hit it into uh, the water, maybe it's a pond or a water uh, you know, adjacent to uh, the green, let's say, as an example. It might be anywhere, but uh, number one is, is at least half of the ball above the water. And the second one, probably the most important, is do I have a pair of rain pants to slip on? Um, and if the answer to either question is no, uh, you might want to just take a drop then, um, because if the ball uh, isn't sum- uh, if the ball is uh, submerged and you don't mind getting wet, uh, think of this as a bunker shot. And so talk talk us through this. What do we do in a situation like this, Pete? Give us an example of what we might want to do if we wanted to try this shot. What are we looking at? Well, really, first of all, it depends on how far you're going. Um, you know, if it's if it's greenside, you got a little bit of an advantage because you have some loft and you can pitch it up there. Um, you know, it, it it's going to act like a, a little bit of a, a of a cushion per se when you hit the water. Um, the, the the club will, will will slow down a little bit, but if it's greenside, you can open it up and play it like a bunker shot um, and be able to to you know splash it right out of there per se because it's in the water. Um, that's a true splash shot. 
but I would, I, in that case, I would open the face a little bit, um, and, and I would still, you know, swing the club a little bit more up and down just to be able to get down into the water to splash it up there. If it's a longer shot, um, you know, now you're you're trying to make as much contact with the ball as you can, which is going to be a little bit difficult because, you know, part of the ball is submerged. Um, so in that particular case, I'd, I'd still take some loft to get it out of there, but then I I would de-loft it a little bit to get it back so you got a better chance to catch it. And then I would put a little bit of weight forward and sort of play it like a, like a chipping setup. And then from there, you're still going to pick it up and down so you can just, you know, basically crash right into the, as close to the ball as you can. It's a risky one to be able to do it. Um, I've seen some players pull it off. Um, but I would say if, if you're a long, long ways away, uh, I wouldn't even chance it. Um, you know, you don't want to go in there with a fairway wood or a hybrid. Um, those things are going to be hard to get the ball out of there. Um, I would just go ahead and take a drop, and, you know, unfortunately you got in there. But if you can get an iron on it and, um, you know, advance it down there again in a safe place, I, I, would, I would prefer using one of those. But I would play it, you know, almost, you know, to a situation to where if the ball was just a little bit deep in the grass, you know, down just a smidgen, you know, then I would, I would you know, get a little bit of loft to start, uh, de-loft it, ball back a little bit, a little bit of weight forward, and then I'd have a, a little bit more vertical swing so I can swing it up and down and, and, you know, and make sure in that particular situation – get the lower half to get through there, turn all the way through so you don't just bury it into the into the pond, you know, make sure the lower half turns out of the way so you can get the club to come through a little bit. But uh, it's a tough situation. Um, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate and unfortunate trying those. Fortunate in that I got it out and unfortunate that I ruined an outfit trying to get one out too, um, <laughs> you know, trying to, to play the shot because I didn't have my range here, which I wish I would have. Um, but no, it, it's not an easy one, but, you know, anytime, anytime it's, it's down in something, you've got to consider that situation that you're going to have to go down to get it. Um, um, it's a little bit easier with the water versus deep grass because it, it's going to move a little bit. But it's, you know, it, it, it's a little bit too. You, you have to be very confident because I know a lot of players who have tried these, they're a little gun shy to hit the water because they know it's going to splash all over them. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to set your sights up and, and say, okay, I want to do this. Um, but just make sure you can you can have an angle enough that's going to get you down to to capture as much of the ball as you can. Yeah, that's a you know it, it well said. You know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm laughing a bit for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, th- this is a type of shot, and again, it, it really goes to kind of the the theme that I've been trying to lay out here is obviously these are are, are can be challenging shots for for um, you know even some better players. But if you're a really high handy, if you're a 25 plus handicap, this is not a shot that you want to be trying. You know, maybe if you're just out having fun and, and the, there's not a lot of people on the course that day, which doesn't happen very often, and you want to try to, you know, execute this shot for fun just to see if you can do it, you know, go for it. But if you're not a very good player at best of times under best circumstances, this is really kind of a silly shot. And, and you know, it, it, for those of you in the Florida area particularly, um, if your ball goes in the water, I don't care if it's sitting up or not. There's some big gators down here. Let me tell you, you don't want to get too close to that water's edge. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been too many stories. You just have to Google a few and, and, uh, you'll see where, and I've even seen this in the pros where they get out there and you'll see the gator and uh, hole 17 reminds me, uh, out at TPC sawgrass, you know, where, you know, the gators circling around around the green they've even had a few shots where he got up on the green 
So, you know, those are some other factors. But, you know, your, your analogy is correct, though, on, on how to play this. If, if you do find yourself and if you're a little better player and you want to give this a try, um, but don't expect it to go very far. And uh, in addition, expect that you might have some wet clothes, but keep your mouth shut as well because the water's going to splash up and you're likely going to get a mouthful of some pond water that isn't going to likely taste uh, very good. It's, it's not going to be Evian, that's for sure. Um, but if you manage to pull it off, maybe one or two of those a year, um, Pete, I think you'd be a clubhouse legend uh, if you managed to pull one off because it's not one that absolutely people. So, um, right, Sue. I mean, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to mic. And really, this goes to with any of the shots. But this one in particular, I had a chuckle about when I when I first put this together, and I thought, you know, I can just imagine. And I've seen some people try this, and it's just to me, it's crazy. Um, so that was the seven that we touched on. I'm going to give. We, we've got a few minutes left. We've got a little bit enough time left. Um, and Sue, I'm going to come to you. Is there another shot that we haven't covered that you can think of, just briefly? that uh, trouble shot that you can think of that maybe some of your students have been faced with? And, and how do we go describe the shot, Dills, what type of shot it is, whether it's, you know, ball above or below the feet or what have you, um, and just give us a, a, a sort of a quick scenario on, on the best way to handle it. Yeah, I think the, I think one of them, probably one of the most difficult shots, which we kind of a little bit talked about, was like more of like the buried lie, but not the buried lie in the sand, but bur- the buried lie around the green. Um, so, like, a lot of the times where you have, um, you know, the grass is about, you know, four to, let's say, four to six inches high, and the ball is buried, I think a lot of the times um, a lot of students struggle about what to do with that shot, and I just tell them, you know, take as much loft as you can, play the ball off your back, you know, your back foot, and, you know, you kind of... Put the weight toward the the front foot um, and come in as a you know in a steep angle, and I think that's one of the ones that uh, a lot of people struggle with because they're not sure what to do with it. So I just mm-hmm. tell them you know you want to um, look at the scenario that you have. If the ball's buried like you know too too low, um, then you you need a little bit steeper angle of attack coming in, and because the steeper the angle, the more the loft, the higher the ball will go and the shorter the ball will go. And I think that's one of the, um, well, I won't say issues, but a lot of the players that I see, you know, they try to um, either try to put it, put it out of that, like, four to six-inch rough, which is not a good decision. Um, so I just teach them, like, okay, what would you do here? Think about what would you do. Since the ball is, you know, is down, um, you know, four to six inches kind of deep, then we take the most lofty club in our bag, um, we play the ball off of our back foot, and we work on a steep angle of attack, um, and the ball flies up a little bit higher and softer around the greens. And I think that's one of the, um, I think one, that's one of the issues that a lot of uh, people don't think about in regards to the angle of attack. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the yeah. I just think one that's one of the issues. They're like, well, if I just put it out of here, I'm like, you're not going to be able to put it out of there because it's four to six inches of rough. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I and that's that, like, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. You need to have a steep yeah. angle of attack and have your most most lofty club you can. Um, 
and you know come at it with a, a very steep angle and the ball will pop up and out of it and sometimes you know the problem is is you you catch the leading edge on the ball and the ball like you know will squirt across the green um and that's why I just tell them I'm like you need to open the club face let the bounce um be a, you know let the let the bounce be activated and I'll let the loft take over rather than the leading edge and I think that's one of the issues that a lot of people don't really understand in regards to when they think, well, if I open the blade up, then the leading edge is going to go a little higher. I'm like, that is true. However, if you, you know, swing down at the ball at a steep angle, the leading edge will not be affected or the ball, the leading edge won't hit the hit the ball in the middle middle of the ball. It'll go below the ball. So... Again, you have to evaluate the lie because sometimes the lie is so deep that, wow, I really can't, you know, I can't open the blade and I might have to, like, de-loft the club. And that's why I highly suggest having a 56 or a 60-degree wedge in your bag so that you have that option because if you don't have a 60-degree wedge in your bag, then you don't have an option um, in regards to, you know, that particular shot because the more loft you have, the better chance the ball will ball the ball will go up in the air rather than scoot across the green. So that's what I tell yeah, my and, players. Yeah, and even with shots where you're in deep rough and you're not really close to the green, again, you know, a lot of those factors apply. Obviously, you may not use a, a 60 degree wedge, but if you're in the rough, um, you know, let's say mm-hmm. 150 yards out, again, you have to be able to get that ball out, and you know, your options are limited. Um, if you want to be successful. So you really have to assess the situation. Pete, what about you? Um, a great, great, uh, great one uh, choice. Thank you, um, Sue. Um, Pete, what do you think? What's another one that you maybe have some of your students get faced that we haven't touched on tonight? Well, there's there's a couple. I wanted to piggyback on what you were talking about. You know, the, the, the one thing I see quite a bit when I'm either playing or watching people on the golf course is they'll hit it into the rough and then I'll watch them dribble it in the rough for four shots and then finally pitch it back into the fairway um, because they, they just take too little loft. I mean, these hybrids weren't built to hit it out of the rough off the fairway. Um, they're just going to drive the ball further into the grass. So you always have to make sure that, you know, get enough loft to get it out of the situation you're in first. You know, like we talked about before, don't look at the distance you have to go, get it out of the situation, you know, rather than, you know, dribbling four or five in a row and then, you know, getting all frustrated, just take, if it's a if it's a six iron distance, take a nine iron and just pitch it down the fairway, and then hit your next one on the green. Get something that's got some loft on it that'll get it out of there. You want the ball going upward as you strike it, not forward, because if you drive it forward, you'll keep driving it into the rough. You know, and so you always have to take enough loft. And and I think the other one is, you know, going back to the uneven lies, the downhill lie. I think is one that gives people a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. You know, you have to set yourself perpendicular to the slope. That's going to set the club de-lofted. But I think, first of all, you know, you have to, to, to picture that. So if it's a nine, it's going to become a seven or six, depending on the severity of the lie. Um, your weight's going to be on the forward foot. And in this one, you need to swing the club more up in the air. And then as you swing it down, you got to turn and keep the weight onto the front foot and finish all the way through it and swing down the slope. Um, I see a lot of people hit, you know, um, bladed shots or lateral shots off of this because they try to swing the club you know, inward or around them like they normally do, but off a downhill lie, that's just not going to work. It's either going to, you know, run right back into the hillside or it's going to get into the, the heel portion of the club. So, you know, set yourself with the shoulders level to the, so, to the slope, you know, 
if uh, you know, keep in mind that you know if it's a long, long ways away, um, if you take out a you know a fairway wood or a hybrid, now you don't have any loft left. Um, so depending on what's in front of you, you have to look at that. But you know, take enough loft to get you going, especially around the greens too. You have to remember that you know if it's a downhill and you're pitching it to the green, it's going to take off because you know mm-hmm. a sand wedge becomes a nine iron, and so you're going to have to allow for some run if you can. Um, but if the pin's close, you just got to get it to the middle of the green. But I think those two are are the, the the common ones I see them have a lot of trouble with. You know, the up the above the feet and below the feet. Yeah, they're still difficult, but I just think that downhill one is is one that you know I see a lot of them struggling just to try to get the ball you know, in the air because they think they want to swing up at it to help it up, and all they do is just swing right over the top of it. So you have to set up weight forward, you know, spine, you know, perpendicular to the slope and, you know, pick that club up in the air and then swing it down, chase the ball down the slope as you turn through, and I think you'll have a lot more success on on that lie, especially, you know, uh, fairway-wise and and around the green. Yeah, well said. Um, I I think the key really underlying – for all of the, you know, for, for these types of shots, really for any shot, is in the setup. Uh, once you know how to set up for whatever shot you may be faced with, that's half the battle right there. I think if you, you know, whether, you know, you're uh, up, uphill, downhill, bunker shot, whatever, if you set up to the shot correctly, that's part of the battle right there. And that gives you, that helps to increase the success, uh, the, the chances of success. If you're setting up incorrectly for a shot and you're not, you know, lining your shoulders, uh, you know, with the slope and you've got it going against the slope or, or you know, opposite to, to what it needs to be, then ultimately what ends up happening is, especially as you pointed out, uh, you both have pointed out with those downhill shots, what I often see a lot of players too is not only they're whiffing over the ball, uh, but they're coming in and hitting it really heavy in behind because they're coming in at such a steep angle that they're not really chasing uh, the slope, they're actually hitting in behind the ball and, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, lovely things happen from there. And, and, you know, so, so really, I think if you understand the shot you're faced with, right. I mean, I, I, I this is something which is really, I just want to point this out. You know, I, I've said many, many times, we've all talked about this is how you practice in preparation for, for any round. And I'm not talking about a warm up. I'm talking about how you practice in a practice session. Um, I was out the range uh, about a week ago and uh, just on my own, just hitting some shots. And I saw a guy, an older gentleman, and he was out there and it was busy, but not too busy. And he was taking about five or six balls and he was putting them in different positions. He wasn't just hitting them off the the flat surface. He was going up because it's a um, multi-tiered, you know, teeing area into the, into the range. So he would go up into some of the grass and some of the slopes, and he would just pitch them, you know, short shots, nothing real far, but he was factoring in the slope, and he was working on that. Um, I can think of a dozen times that I've been up to that range, and I have yet to see somebody doing that. In other words, what he was doing is he was practicing for those shots. He was getting himself set up accordingly for those different, and they were just little pitch shots, little chip shots, whatever they may be but he was practicing for those scenarios because he knows he's going to be faced with some of those on the golf course. And so he was getting himself set up accordingly for those shots, not just raking and hitting balls. So I think no matter what shot we talked about tonight, I think if you understand, and this is where your professional can help you, guide you, in, in, and these are things that you should be working on, not just the, constantly the grip and all of these things. You should be working on 
the various scenarios that you're going to be faced with out on the golf course and how to set up to them properly, um, like those downhill, uphill lies and like bunkers and things like that. You know, so that when you get faced with that yourself, you're going to understand how to handle that. Make notes, you know, get video of, of you doing these different things with your coach. And I think if you do that, um, I think you're going to increase the percentage of success out in the golf course. And I think that's what we have to really drill down on some of these high handicappers particularly because the pros know to deal with this. They know how to handle that, and they practice from all different types of scenarios. But we see too many of our high handicap golfers just don't prepare for that, and they get out in the golf course, and 90% of the time they're going to be faced with one of these shots that we talked about tonight, and they're not going to know how to handle it or how to set up to it properly. And I think that's what we really have to hammer home with some of these people if they want to get better. Um, great discussion tonight. I apologize for going into a diatribe at the end, at the end of the discussion, but I wanted to really get those point, points across. And you know what? I'm the host, so what the heck. Um, but I, I want to thank you guys uh, for a great, great discussion tonight. And uh, I, as always, I'm going to give each of you a chance to, uh, uh, to let the folks know the best way to, to reach you. Um, I'm going to let ladies go first this time. So you go ahead. How can the folks reach out to you? And if there's any specific that you want to quickly plug uh, coming up events or whatnot, go ahead. Yeah, you can all reach me at um, Suiger Golf Academy. Um, I'm in um, I'm in actually in Payson, Arizona, um, but you can also look into um, like Ted um, said earlier. I have a number one best selling book. It's um, called Golf: The Last Six Inches. You can get it on Amazon. Um, and then there's, there's an also an Ace Performance Journal attached to that. So if you buy the book, the Ace Performance Journal comes for free. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I always enjoy um, the Golf Talk Live. Love it. I, I appreciate it. As always, Sue, have a great weekend. And, uh, and also you're yeah. heading up to, I think you said, Chicago for a PGA clinic uh, and helping some folks up that way. So, um Good luck with that yeah, as well. Um, a, yeah, thank you. Pete, what about you? What's the uh, best way to reach out? And um, anything that you want to quickly plug, go ahead. Yeah, they can get me at ppcannongolf.com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, just going to be playing a little golf this weekend. That's what I have coming up. So it's a, a little bit of time off for me to, to go play a little bit of golf. But uh, um, we're working on a few things behind the scenes that um, – um, Keep keep checking the website. We've got some things we're working on that I think are going to uh, help make the swing just a little bit more simple. Um, so be looking for that coming up in the future. And, and again, Sue, great being on with you. And, and Ted, as always, you know, thanks for what you do. It's uh, it's great to be on here with you. And I know there's a lot of work behind the scenes that you do. So thanks thanks for for having us on. Well, thanks, I'm, I'm going to. Ha- well, thank you guys. Uh, I, I obviously can't do it alone, and I appreciate you guys. Uh, your your loyalty and your faithfulness for all these years coming on the program. And uh, I, I might have to reach out to your wife and get her to get me a, a set. My 60s, not till next year. So she'll have plenty of time to get something prepared for me. So I may, I may right. be doing that, but all right. So guys, thanks as always have a great weekend and uh, we'll see you next time on the coach's corner panel. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks. Ted. Thanks. Ted. Bye. All right. That was uh, Pete Buchanan and Sue Weir joining me on the coach's corner panel. And uh, when I come back from a quick break, I will have my very special guest of the evening, Brad Adams, the founder and CEO of Bloodline Golf. We'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? 
And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, everybody, and um, again, thank you for joining me live tonight on Golf Talk Live. I'm very excited to have tonight's guest on. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, so let me introduce him. As I mentioned uh, just before the break, uh, my very special guest this evening is Brad Adams. He is the founder and CEO of Bloodline Golf, and just a little bit about him. He's been in the golf industry now for over 30 years. Uh, in 1991, he became the senior vice president at Odyssey Golf and was a key member of the team that built the brand that continues to dominate the putter category. Uh, he's credited with uh, developing the and co-authoring the Odyssey uh, polymer insert patent, uh, and during his tenure managing the PGA, SPGA, LPGA, and EPGA tours. Uh, Odyssey, of course, uh, saw over 200 uh, players win more than 100 events, uh, including multiple majors. And at this time, uh, at his time with Odyssey, he started a new uh, venture, the Never Compromise Putter Company, which had more victories on the major golf tours in its first year than any other putter brand in history. And now, as I mentioned, uh, he's got a new uh, venture going, uh, Bloodline Golf. Uh, so let's bring on uh, Brad Adams. Hey, thanks, Good Ted. Evening, Brad. I appreciate that. Can not can not a problem. Yes, I can hear you just fine. Uh, so I just yeah, wanted to perfect, give a little history. I know, I know, yeah, I know we're going to talk about uh, uh, Bloodline, but I want to just give the folks a little bit of your background. I know there's so much more uh, history to you, and, and we can certainly unpack that as we go along, but um, I just wanted to give them just a, a little bit. So talk about, if you don't mind, and this is something I like to ask everybody when they first come on the show for the first time, um, talk about some of your earlier uh, golfing memories. When and where did you first play the game? When did you first take it up? your age and, and yeah. how did it sort of come about? Sure, sure. Uh, so, so my grandfather was the golf pro at McHenry Country Club uh, just outside of Chicago, and he was actually on the back of the Special case cereal boxes with his lessons, and, and he had some pretty good notoriety. And, and uh, my father, you know, worked for him in the pro shop there. And then, uh, you know, so when I was like two, my father was working for a company called Wittig Golf, selling the range mats and the, the ball pickers and ball dispensers, all of that. So, uh, you know, my mom and our family, my sisters, we travel with our father as he was kind of the traveling salesman throughout the Midwest with these products. And I, I was two years old and I was hitting balls off the range mats, you know, while he was in there uh, trying to sell the stuff to those, to those people. So I had a, a very early experience you know with not only playing golf but watching you know my grandfather a golf pro and then my father a golf salesman and my father was also a a, a real good player he was a, a conference champion in college and and so he you know we, we had a, a unique experience and what was interesting was as as things evolved when I was like 12 13 years old dad and so so it was a kind of a a traditional family, right, with a father or a grandfather mm -hmm. who's a golf pro and a very good player. 
and and a father who was a good player. You know, they loved the McGregor persimmon and and all of that stuff. So for dad to come home and say, I want to, in uh, I don't know if the uh, the the people listening know, but anyway, dad started TaylorMade Golf, and he brought mm-hmm. home a metalwood. And, you know, I was 12, 13, I was like, Dad, I, I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> but <laughs> it, 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 obviously, it obviously did. And it was, it was an interesting thing for a young person to watch kind of where you, you know, you try and push the envelope and you just don't know what's going to work. I mean, obviously things don't always work. But when, when Dad did that with the metal wood, that really opened my eyes to think that, you know, anything is possible. And so right. when, uh, when I became about 22 years old and I got to be involved with uh, uh, Jim Flood, who invented the graphite shaft, started Aldola. Um, he did uh, the power pod, the bass hackward putter. He did all these crazy things. And he was a friend of my dad's. Uh, and so I got with Jim and a guy named Michael Megerman, and we started Odyssey Putters, uh, you know, at that time, Ping probably had 60% market share, which was ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's right. you know, they're like, what, what are you guys thinking that you're going to start this little Odyssey putter company and even competing with Ping? And so what what initially happened was, uh, you know, we, we had an all polymer head with, with a lead weight in the middle of it. Uh, but it was not the most uh, attractive-looking finish on it, like what you could have with the metal putter heads. And so right. we had some success. We had Richard Zokel win. We had Keith Clearwater win. We had some some pretty cool things. But it wasn't until about three years later where we actually took metal castings and we poured the polymer into the face because at that time, it was really when those golf balls, I'm trying to think of the uh, the laddie or the lady ball that came out, right? Yep. It was almost uh, mm-hmm. right before the Pro-V, right? And so right. you had these players that, that loved that ball, but they didn't have the feeling of the Bellata ball coming off the metal face, you know, with that material on that ball. But this ball went so far, right? And so mm-hmm. what you're what we were trying to do with pouring that stuff in the in the face was for one, the deeper we could cut out that face and pour the material, the more uh, we increased the moment of inertia. And then secondly, we were able to give these guys, you know, the feel that they were missing from the balada ball. So it allowed us to kind of have uh, something for these players that you know, that, that allowed them to not lose what they were sac- balls. They were sacrificing the feel of the blada around the greens, chipping, putting, etc. And so this, this kind of really, you know, hit it. And then when, uh, uh, you know, we had Dave Stockton, we had a bunch of people on the champions tour initially with Odyssey. Uh, and, and what happened was Ping really didn't try and stop us at all out there. And so they kind of, right. and, and they could have, they really could have. And by not stopping us, we kept gaining momentum. And when we kept gaining momentum, it put them in a, in a, a little bit of a precarious situation. And then when Nick Faldo 
you know, won the Masters with the Rossi two, who he, we just built it for him maybe a couple weeks before the Masters. <clears throat> you know, then it, I mean, we did probably ten million in sales the next couple weeks from that Masters victory. So wow. all of that, yeah, it, it was something. But you know, going through it and starting, uh, you know, we ended up we had an investor with Odyssey who, you know, we started to get some. Uh, some pretty good offers on the company. And, you know, when we started this, we're like early twenties and we had an investor who said, uh, you know, I'd like to possibly sell, sell it. And if we couldn't match that offer. So we ended up selling to us industries, which owns jacuzzi, hot tubs, Dexter shoes, and they own Tommy armor golf company. And so, they had myself and two other guys as part of the sale. We had to run both, uh, you know, both companies, Tommy Armour and Odyssey. Right. And so we did that, and we had one-year deal. And so at the end of the one year, myself and two other guys left to start uh, Never Compromise Putters, which was basically we were taking that insert concept all through the whole middle of the putter. So it, the whole middle of the putter was carbon fiber, which weighs – you know, like a fourth of the weight of of steel. So we really created, you know, if you're looking at an answer style or whatever, there's nothing that really could have been too much more heel-toe-weighted than what we had created. And then we had, you know, within two months, we uh, we went over and we, we had this French guy uh, get the putter. He wins the qualifier for the British Open. Next thing you know, he's winning the British Open. It was, you know, Vandevelt. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Right. And this happened, you know, within the first two months of the company. And then <laughs> what could go wrong? He's got a three-shot lead with one hole to go. <laughs> and and then, you know, what happened, happened. But but we, we were very fortunate, and we had, you know, Hale Irwin won a ridiculous amount of putters, uh, 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 tournaments we had julie inkster we had kurt triplett yep. we had nick price price won the first tournament ever for us on the pga so it was a really interesting experience from watching TaylorMade start and lee trevino and he's like lee you got to try this club and uh he was told my dad gary you're crazy you know I got struck by lightning at Butler National, uh, and, and there's no way I'm going to use a metal with. So, but what ended up happening is Lee ended up becoming a TaylorMade uh, endorser, and he probably made more money on TaylorMade metalwoods than any player ever because he had like a royalty deal that my dad did with him. So that was right. uh, that was a bit ironic, but it's. It, but I've also <laughs> seen I've also seen a lot of things that. You know, you think you set the table perfectly for uh, equipment and sales, and it doesn't happen. So it's uh, it's a tricky – the equipment industry is a tricky world. And the thing I've always loved about Bloodline was I spent so much time out on the tour working with the players. And really, for the most part, with the technologies, you're paying all these tour players, or you're working with all these tour players to validate – the technology that you have. And what I thought right. with Bloodline was, especially when we go and do demo days with somebody and we get them to set up to the putter, we get them all set, and then we say, okay, let go of it. And they're like, what are you talking about? 
let go. And then it's like that aha moment, and they can get behind it and see what their perception versus reality is as far as where they're aligned. And that's something that, you know, working with the tour players through all these years, that was a common thing. Hey, Brad, get behind me. Hold my putter. Let me see if I'm aimed where I think I am. And so uh, so that was pretty cool to be able to have something that the, that every player, you know, we don't have to have a tour player to validate that this person can see what the putter can do for them. Right. And what you're talking about, just to let the folks know for that maybe you're not familiar uh, with what you're referring to is you're st- talking about the stand-up technology. Um, tell them a little bit about what you're referring to. I, I know it because I actually, when I was at the PGA show uh, this last January, I actually uh, was looking um, uh, at uh, bloodline putters and and uh, was demonstrated. It was just very, very – so just explain to the folks a little bit specifically what you're talking about. Sure. So so the, the thing is, and, and what's interesting, before my dad started the Metal Wood, uh, or tailor-made. There were metal woods. There were driving range metal woods. There was there was that uh, a metal-headed driver, right? But there was solid aluminum, and tailor-made kind of created the investment cast uh, hollow shell metal wood, right? So you had so much more mm-hmm. sweet spot because of that. And there right. were and and this is nothing against them. There's a good friend of mine, Roger Evans who invented the original stand-up putter years years and years ago, but it was, you know, it was almost the size of a frying pan. That's why it stood up. <laughs> so because right. of the evolution of the carbon fiber and the strength, we were able to create a shaft grip combination that weighs like maybe a gram an inch. And what that does, that allows us to have an Odyssey or, a, you know, a Titleist or a Ping or a tour-sized putter head that stands up and that was the the difference of bloodline compared to all stand-up putters in the past and the, the proof is you know adam svensson won his first tournament with a bloodline putter um and i you know it's, it's hard to when you've got you're competing against all these companies that sign these guys you can't always keep them in your stuff but that yep. was what adam won his very first tournament with vj singh BJ Singh has won three tournaments on the Champions Tour. I mean, this is one of the greatest players of all time. He's won three tournaments right. on the Champions Tour. All three tournaments on the Champions Tour he won were with the Bloodline Putter. Uh, Ernie Els mm-hmm. won his first tournament on the Champions Tour with the Bloodline Putter. Uh, Ritif Goosen was the first guy to ever use a Bloodline Putter in a tour event. And now we don't actually go out and work these tour events. So for these guys to have success with it, they had to order it from us and we shipped it to them. And it was, you know, it's a pretty cool deal. Yeah. And, and but that was, you know, these... but, but that was it. It was, it was really the technology was having touch points on the sole of our putter and then such a strong lightweight carbon fiber shaft that allowed us to do that. Yeah, and it's really, really good because what, what a lot of people don't understand. I mean, and, and you talk about it on your site. Um, you know, I was on earlier this evening uh, before we, we came on the show looking at it, and you're, you're talking about, you know, misalignment, how so many people uh, misalign their putts, and even something as little as even a degree and a half, uh, say on an 8- or 10-foot putt, can cause you to miss your your underlying target. So, you know, if you're going right at the hole or if you're, even if it's on a breaking putt, if you're off by even a degree and a half, it can make a big difference. So being able to get behind your putter like that without anybody holding it, 
um, certainly gives you a, a good advantage to be able to line things up a little correctly. And that's really was your point in doing that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and what, what also it is said is, is a lot of time over IP, and not as much with the tour players because they have so many. I mean, Justin Thomas, he's got a guy. They do like the clockwork deal around the hole, right, before he tees off. And he's got right. his coach who's got a laser. He sets up on a five-foot putt with the ball in front of it. Then his coach will move the ball and put a laser in front of the face and hit the laser, right? So, But not everybody can afford to have a coach travel with them all the time and, and shoot that before right. they go play. So what our putter allows you, that allows you to do is, is calibrate what your eyes are seeing, right? And so right. some days are different than others. Sometimes, you know, mostly you kind of have a similarity of what you're doing but there's a lot of times when each day is a little bit different for you and having that putter and being able to get behind it um, allows you to confirm what you're seeing. And what's, what's uh, having a, a golf pro as a, as a grandfather, you know, what he would always try and teach me was if he wasn't there, the lessons that he would give me, I could fix myself when I could understand what was was happening with the lessons he taught. And with the putting, right. what I've seen is, you know, you've got all these guys and they're, say they're missing it to the right. So now they start to, to kind of mess around with their stroke uh, to yep. adjust that when actually they were just aimed to the right. So now they start getting further and further when their stroke was fine to begin with, right? So they get further and further from where actually they should be. And so by being able to calibrate and confirm where you're aimed, now if you, if you miss up to the right and you know you were aimed at the hole, now you can say maybe the ball was too far back in your stance or you know, it could be a number of things. But at least you, you've got a starting point. Yeah, and, and you know, something else that you, you guys talk about on, on the site, and I just want, if you don't mind, maybe touching on a little bit of this, is you identify sort of the six uh, alignment challenges of putting because there's a lot involved. It's not just a matter, and this is where obviously your product uh, can really help alleviate some of these issues, but there's a lot of factors that go into lining up a putt. Can you maybe touch on a few of those and just give the folks uh, an idea? Because obviously this plays well, into what you guys have, have uncovered. Yeah, well, sure. And, and some of the stuff with, with aligning the putt is – you know, for, for each person can be different. You know, some people can, a straight putt is something that they can do very well. A right-to-left putt, what we've seen, is is one of the go-to, the best things that that the golfers can really feel confident with on the right-to-left, where we mm-hmm. see players lose confidence. And when you lose confidence, you're not committed to the stroke, right? So you have doubt yep. that, you know, I'm not quite certain if I'm lined up where I want to be. And that's mainly for a right-handed player, a left-to-right putt. So you have, and depending on the slope of how they're standing, that, that accentuates it. If you are able to, you know, get behind that putter on that left-to-right putt and say, okay, I know I'm aimed where I'm trying to aim. Now all I have to do is be committed to my stroke. And, you know, and then hopefully you're, uh, you know, you've got the right speed because obviously there's, yep. it's not just alignment. 
uh, and that's definitely not what we're saying. But uh, right. but alignment. If you can't get the alignment and you can't hit it where you're trying to, that makes it you know you're going to get real lucky if you can make that putt. And so the the part of of what we're trying to to really get to the golfer is if I'm you know if I'm two degrees flat with my I'm 34 inch and two degrees flat, then if I let go of the putter because we we have a lot of people uh, because of the uh, the the chamfer on the the sole of the putter they're not quite sure if they have their hands where you know if they were fit by their pro or however they were fit if their hands are in the position, right? Because of right. that, that beveled sole, it, it might be the toe might be up in the air a little bit or the heel, et cetera. So by having something that is consistent, it allows you a better chance to repeat the hit of the, of the putt. And by being able to, you know, strike the putt in, in the center of the putter face is, is incredibly important because it dictates how that role is, right? And and you've seen some things maybe uh, back in the day when Retief uh, won the U.S. Open with the uh, with the C groove putter, right? So you had those grooves yeah. on there, and back in that day, you could get that ball rolling so much faster with some of these different technologies. But mm-hmm. if you have a guy like Tiger, and Tiger tried some of this stuff. It's like when you hit 20,000 shots a certain way, and, and for example, like if you're chipping off the side of the green with a five iron, you got a long chip, so you know when you hit that chip with that five iron, it's going to check a certain way every time. Well, that's right. almost like the, the putter with these balls with the loft on it, what Tiger's been used to forever right? And then you give him a putter that rolls it immediately off there. Well, when you have a little bit of a left to right breaker on a six foot putt, Tiger's not used to that thing rolling right away, right? And so it's going to have a different break than what he's been used to, even though that roll, technically you think that's the better, the better way to do it. So anyhow, the, 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 the point is, is what we're trying to do is give people a way that they can eliminate that doubt and erase that 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 little deal in their head so they can be committed to the stroke and at the same time they know they are is set up exactly how they should be set up, whatever that was, how the pro set it up or whatever. But they know they are consistent with what they're doing. And once they work with that there's no reason that they shouldn't become a better putter. Yeah, and that's a you, you raised some really great points, and and I wanted you to to go down the path that you did. So thank you for doing that, um, because this is an area that I see as a, as a teaching pro. I mean, I've been teaching now for for thirty plus years, and you know what I see with a lot of students is, you know, obviously as we know, the short game is 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 the scoring part of the game. I mean, you can hit your driver as pure as you want, but you know, you're only pulling that out, uh, you know, maybe 12, 13, 14 times at the most um, on any, uh, you know, on any uh, golf course, whereas your putter, you're, you know, playing on all 18 unless you hole out. So, you know, your your putter, you need to be very proficient. And 
what I see so many times is, and what I really liked about your product when I was looking at it at the show, is the fact that it puts it in the same, your hands are in the same position every single time. Once it's been, you know, fit for you and so forth, um, and you stand that up, get behind, look at, you know, line things up, and then you go to, you know, address the, the, the putt, your hands are in the same location every time. And you'd be surprised, well, you wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, listeners would be surprised if they went out on, you know, any, you know, given practice facility and watched the average amateur with, with other putters, how sometimes their hands are a little higher on some, sometimes a little lower. It's not consistent. And then they wonder why no, the putts are not consistent. Right? Right. And it's so hard, I mean, uh, uh, to, to really – when we had this, this, uh, you know, this, this deal in, in, you know, so I was out working with tour players before bloodline and, and I'm talking major champions would be, you know, cause I'm out there working with them on putters. Hey, where am I lined up? And, and it was so crazy to see how far off some of these guys were on, you know, maybe a 15 foot putt or something. These are the best players in the world, but right. the, overall the, the best, I would say, uh, top amateurs and top, uh, you know, club champions, they, what, where they gravitated towards on our putter was what you just said. I, you know, I, I, when I set up to the putter and I know it's set to my specs, it just, I just feel confident. I'm not worried. Hey, is the toe up? Is the heel up? Am I set up, you know, how I should be? It just eliminates that. And, is is uh, we know being golfers and you teaching for as long as you have, if if you yep. can have that confidence and remove that doubt and make a committed stroke, because when you are when you have that little seed of doubt in your head and you're over that putt, you know it's that subconscious that gets in your in your way when you're trying to stroke it and right. you don't stroke it how you wanted, but you couldn't help it, <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's you what know, the beauty of golf is. It's, it's, uh, it messes with your head. Right. And so we're trying, to, we're trying to let this not mess with your head as much. You know, what's really interesting um, is when you watch the tour players, for instance, you know, you know obviously they're, they didn't get where they, they are because they can't hit the golf ball or they can't make putts. But confidence is, is what's really key for them because when, for some reason, whatever the circumstance is, once they've lost a bit of confidence, you can very readily see it. You can see it in, a, in an event, in a round where they're not feeling comfortable, you know, over the putt or whatever the case is. And so it always baffles me when, you know, when I talk to sort of, you know, the regular folks and they – you know, they, they look at that, they try to compare themselves and they're saying, well, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I don't understand. I don't seem to have the confidence. Well, they're not practicing at the same level that the pros are. They're not out there putting, you know, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of golf balls, you know, so they don't have the same level of confidence. So once you lose that, um, you know, you've got to work at it to get it back. And what I really like about, about the, the bloodline products is it really helps them to develop that confidence. And once they get that confidence, I mean, obviously they have to put a little work into it. They've got to get out there and practice, and, you know, you can't just buy it and, you know, it's done. You've got to work with it and get used to it. But once they do that and they see the benefits of being able to get behind it, not worrying about the, you know, the, the, the you know, putter falling over or whatnot, and they can line their putts up and then 
they know when they step up to it that the putter's in the right position for them, then it's just a matter of, of executing the stroke. And hopefully, as you said uh, a little bit earlier, is that they've got the right speed. Now, that's a whole different thing, obviously, than, than what you're dealing with. But at least you're – I always look at it as a, as a golf uh, professional, um, and I don't know if you had a chance to listen to some of the earlier segment uh, tonight, but one of the things that I find, no matter what shot you are faced with, is if you set up correctly for that shot, that increases your success tremendously. So in your case here with, with Bloodline, is you're helping the golfers eliminate some of the steps that they would normally do themselves by helping them align uh, with the stand-up putter and helping them to put their hands in the correct spot every time. That helps them get in a proper setup to be able to execute a good putting stroke each and every time. And that, over time, helps them build confidence. Yeah, and, and, and it, you're, you're so so right. I mean, when you cannot build confidence in, in a false, you know, way, right? So what builds right. confidence is when you see the ball going in the hole. And, and you know, I, I, I can't say the guy's name, but we just had a guy that won a, a, a state senior open, a major golf state senior open, who's, you know, sponsored by a, a competitor. But, you know, one of the members at his club, uh, bought one of our putters, and so he ended up buying the putter, and he won the state senior open with that putter. Mm. And it, it, the confidence is what he totally attributed it to. Um, and so it, it's it, it it really is something in golf that is, and, and golfers will know when you when you whether it's on the on the green or on the tee, whatever the in the bunker, if you don't have that confidence. Odds are you're. I mean, for you to execute the shot, it's going to be the odds aren't good, right? And so, yeah. um, having that confidence is is such a such a. It can't be overstated, but it has to be real. And and with putting, you know, and and you're an instructor, right? So, yep. You you can't teach people how to hit it like Dustin Johnson. They just don't have the physical attributes, but. Right. There's so many people that can be, if they give it a chance, they can really improve their putting if they try. And and that's mm-hmm. where, you know, they they can, you know, as, as you mentioned, I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. where the majority of the strokes are on the golf course is on, on the green. And this is a place, and, uh, you know, we're just hoping that we can, you know, grow. We, we need to it's interesting because we've done most of this, you know, on online, right. And part of our product, you know, a lot of people are, Oh, I've seen a stand up putter before or whatever. When they actually see our putter in person or hit it in person, it's a whole different deal because then we're, we we're not just a stand up putter company. And, And that's what I hate to, to throw out is, is that we're a stand up putter company because that's not, that's not necessarily who we are, right? We're, we're, we're out right. here trying to, trying to help golfers, you know, enjoy the game more. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it really is, you know, trying to, uh, trying to line up a golf ball with those lines and utilize that for your alignment. I get it for sure. Having the lines on the putter and it's setting behind there is so much easier to see where it's going and it's actually a lot faster, you know, because we definitely do not want to 
make the game any slower. And so it's just a matter of, uh, you know, how much time, you know, you, you know, we're trying on our website to show different setup procedures, different, different ways to mm-hmm. utilize it that, that doesn't take more time. But I mean, if you remember Jack Nicholas, Jack took forever on a lot of his oh. butts and they, they asked him, they asked him why Jack, why are you taking so long? And he was like, because I'm not going to hit this putt until I see in my eyes, you know, exactly where I want this. You know, I, I see the ball going on the line in the hole. And, and so right. it's just, however you're going to do it. If you're going to use a putter that stands up, if you're going to utilize, utilize the lines on the golf ball, you just have to do it in a, in a, in a way that, that works with the rules of the game. However many you know seconds, 20, 30, whatever it is, just get it done. When you talk to, you know, obviously you've, you've obviously talked with a lot of tour play, players and that and get some great feedback from them. But I know, obviously, through the process, you've talked to uh, a number, whether it's through the different shows you've, you've been involved with and the demo days and things. But when you talk to everyday regular golfers, what are some of the, the more common issues um, that they face? And what is it, when you talk to them about their putting experience, is some of the more common feedback that you guys get that obviously that's helped you uh, in making the decisions that you have uh, to come out with the product that you have. So what's been some of the feedback from the regular folks out there? Well, the regular folks just say we have the best product ever and that everybody should buy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I obviously joking, but it's, you know, I would say that if there's anything that I just wish, you know, I wish we had, um, as I mentioned, we're mainly on our website is how we get across to the people and trying to, you know, we're, we're a very small company and trying to put putters in all the pro shops and all those retailers and everything is extremely costly. Although it, right. it was really cool to be able to do these demo days where you had the people, like I said, you, you know, initially we wouldn't even tell them it stood up, right? We just put it in their hands. And it is like at the Everglades Club, right, on Palm Beach, right? So, right. Uh, you know, right. At, at that point, we're selling a $500 putter, and these people are like, I'll buy three. <laughs> it was crazy. Right. But they, they uh, <laughs> you, you know, but it, it's, I think, the most, uh, 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 the challenge for Bloodline with the average player, so right away they can see, okay, I get it. I'm not lined up where I think I am. The next challenge for us is to get that person to spend enough time with the putter, which isn't a ton of time, but a little bit to get the feel of the distance control because that's because of the balance of the putter, right? If you put this on a swing weight scale, most putters, I mean, it's gotten heavier. When we started Odyssey before that ping, you know, there was like 300 grams ahead. We started Odyssey at 320 uh, you know, mm-hmm. now the average weight is uh, probably 350, 360. That's just the average. There's definitely heavier. But because sure. ours weighs probably 395, but because our shaft and grip are so light, that that balance point is, you know, almost down at the head, which if you want to feel the release of the putter, you couldn't have a better putter than what we have because you're going to, mm-hmm. that putter is going to, it's automatically going to want to release through, through the hit, but you have to work with it a little bit just to get the, the, uh, 
the distance control that you're used to with your more traditional, you know, balanced putter head? Well, my my response to that would be, Brad, welcome to the club, uh, uh, professionals, because we we run yeah. into the same problem. You know, as teaching pros, you know, we can tell them and show them and demonstrate, you know, everything that they need to know um, in, you know, how to set up, how to grip and all that kind of stuff. But if they don't go out and put it into practice, then it's for nothing. And that's one of the biggest yeah. frustrations. You know, I mentioned earlier on the show, uh, on the earlier segment, you know, I talked about last weekend, um, you know, I was up on, on the range just, you know, hitting a few balls, just having some fun, not teaching or anything. And I saw an older gentleman going and actually practicing shots on the range, not on the main part of the range, but on some of the downhill and side hill portions, you know, working on a variety of different shots. And I can't count on my hand the number of times over the last few years that I've seen other people do that, um, you know, practicing other than just a perfect flat lie all the time. And, you know, right. but obviously that was important to him. He knew that he was going to be out in the golf course. He's going to be faced with that. And it's the same thing for you guys. You know, what, what, what really you're doing with bloodline is you're, is you're eliminating some of the steps for them to be able to, you know, line that pot up and be able to do the things and get prepared to execute that putt, and you're, all you're really asking them to do is, hey, let's just work on some of your distance control. And right. that's, that's, a, that's a pretty simple thing to do, but you're right. A lot of players, I mean, you're trying to make it as simple as possible so that when they get that putter in their hand, you're, you're reducing things to a point that really it's a very simple process. It's just a matter of educating them, saying, hey, we're, we're helping you. We're, we're going to meet you more than halfway but we need you to meet us partway as well. And that's really what the sales pitch is at this point, right? It, it, you're, yeah, you're, you're exactly spot on. It, it's, we, you know, like, like I said, I watched Roger Evans do the original, right? And he had, yeah. he actually had uh, uh, Gardner Dickinson, you know, who was one of the guys that started the PGA Tour with Jack and Arnold. I mean, he had Gardner out there using it, but, he also did a lot of marketing with and nothing against Dr. J and, and, you know, all these other things. But right. what, what we, we get looked at is, uh, especially without a lot of marketing dollars, so we really can't say our heritage of TaylorMade and Odyssey and my partner, Larry Fishman, who right. I brought in uh, to create this unbelievable carbon fiber technology you know, he, he created the Diamante, he named the Diamante, he started the Diamante for Mitsubishi. So we, right. we, you know, we don't want to be categorized as a gimmick. It's just part of, part of it. But, um, yeah. you know, but, but we don't have, you know, all the, the marketing dollars to really do it. But again, I, I really, what I loved about this concept and what was so challenging with watching Dad do TaylorMade and me doing Odyssey and, and never compromise was, you know, we really had to, because of especially TaylorMade, you know, you had to validate that radical technology with those tour players. That helped the average guy say, okay, I can go from a persimmon head to a metal head because mm-hmm. I just watched this guy, you know, win the tournament with it. And right. with the stand-up part of it, I was just so adamant that, boy, this is a technology where to have a golf equipment company that helps the golfers, but I don't have to, you know, have 
all this money that I'm spending paying these tour players to validate my technology because with the stand-up feature and the way they can uh, address it, they, they, they can figure it out themselves, right? They can see how this can help right. them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, would I, would I like to have uh, somebody win the U.S. Open uh, at L.A.? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but right. I mean, it is, right, it is, it is what it is. But, you know, we're, we're just trying to create product that, uh, that, helps, that helps, you know, not only Adam Svensson or Vijay or Ernie or, or these tour players, but ha- helps uh, every golfer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're, you're exactly right. I mean, you're, you're, you know your audience, and, you know, it, it's great to have validation from the tour players um, and, and various different endorsements of, of the product and that, because that certainly, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, uh, it, that obviously generates sales. But the, at the end of the day, um, the consumers are getting much more savvy. Even some of the older golfers now are becoming more savvy uh, in their shopping. And, you know, they've been fed all the – I mean – one of the things I like about what you are doing is the fact that you're not piling in a, a bunch of money into, you know, heavy marketing, because one of the criticisms that I have with a lot of the equipment manufacturers is they're marketing, marketing, marketing all these great products. But at the end of the day, the only ones that really reap the benefits are the tour players uh, with the distance and so on. And I'm talking obviously the drivers and things, and I'm not knocking them. They're good products. But when you're charging what you're charging, and I'm not saying you, but I'm saying some of the equipment, and the average player really doesn't reap the benefits, the marketing's for naught. So I like your approach is what you're really trying to do is to educate them through your product and saying, hey, we can make you a better putter. We're going to help you get to that level. Here's how we're going to do it. And all we really need, as I mentioned earlier, is just for you to, to do your part in it. Um, but we're going to make it as easy as possible for you to become a better putter. Uh, a better putter, excuse me. And that's really what you're trying to do. And I like the fact that you're not just piling a bunch of money in uh, marketing it. Um, you're actually demonstrating it and showing it as as uh, proof proof of concept. And that's what I really like about uh, your line of, of uh, products. Yeah, well, that, that's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. And it, it's. You know, one of the things we do is we do give anybody that gets the putter, they have a 100-day, 100% guarantee from us that if they don't like it, they can, you know, send it back and we'll send them all their money back. So we really believe in it, and we we want people to, you know, try it without, uh, you know, without worrying that I don't know if I like it, if, uh, you know, what will happen. So anyway. Yeah, no, that's a, and that's, uh, again, people like to see and hear that. And, and, you know, uh, again, you've got a, a very uh, good online presence. You know, as I said, I've been on your, your website a number of times and particularly today as I was preparing for tonight. And, you know, that's where people are going. That's where they're going to investigate, to look at their stuff. Um, and yeah, it's nice to be in every pro shop and all that kind of stuff, but it's, a, it is a costly uh, venture. And, um, but a lot of people are comfortable, you know, purchasing online so you know you're you're getting that information out there a variety of different ways doing programs like this and and others and um and obviously you've you've had a lot of success uh at at the highest level of the game so far and i'm sure it'll continue so so let's tell the folks um the best way that they can go about learning more let's give them the website and then also um what they need to know what 
yeah, bloodline.golf. They go now, they, they'll, we have actually a, 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 a little bit of a promotion going on right now where they can save $50 off of the veil. And the veil, you know, we, we initially started, now the, the first putter, uh, you know, that we sold was $499, and we still have that. But it's, mm. it's like a milled, it's a milled aluminum, uh, you know, high, high-grade aluminum top with a, with a non-reflective anodizing that's on top of it with a steel milled underneath and a milled hosel. It's just, it's very expensive, and it's awesome. But we we've, we've been able to develop a putter that now we feel is a little bit more to the masses, which is more around a $249 putter, uh, and that's and that's the veil, and that's and it's you know my golf spy it was their they said that was their best uh, feeling putter they had, and so we're really excited with that particular putter. But Bloodline Golf, and if they see the veil on there, they will be able to get that uh that promotion right now perfect um well brad i want to thank you very much for uh for coming on tonight and i hope as new things i i know you've probably got some other things coming down the line um but uh, i'll have you come back on again when you're uh maybe ready to to talk about that but is there anything um in addition to the uh to the offer um on the veil that uh, you'd like to uh to plug while you're here and we'll give that website uh, again before you leave. But I want to thank you for coming on tonight and, and uh, sharing with the audience a little bit about your background, but also about Bloodline Golf. But uh, any other things coming down the pike that uh, you want to share? Give us a sneak peek, and or do you want to wait and, and come back on another show? And, and Yeah, uh, yeah, no, and, no, uh, I'll wait. I want to be back on the show. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll make we'll make that happen. You can just let us know when uh, what's the best time for you and when you want to do that, and we'll definitely have you come back on. But but Brad, I, w- I really want to thank you. As I said, thank you, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, I appreciate it as well. Spending time with with me and my audience, and uh, I know that they're listening. And and again, if you want to uh, check out the uh, Bloodline uh, putters, go to Bloodline Golf, and uh, they've got a special on the veil right now. You get fifty dollars off. Uh, that's running. So you definitely want to check it out. Some great videos on there as well, and uh, a lot of uh, terrific. Uh, reviews, uh, and you can reach out and contact them right from the website. So, um, again, Brad, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live, and I look forward to you coming back on a future program and, and sharing a little bit more information and maybe some new exciting products uh, that you might be adding to to the mix. So, but thank you for spending some time. All right, Ted, thank you very much. All right, you have a great evening, great weekend. You do the same. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Brad Adams, one of the founders and the CEO of Bloodline Golf. Again, go to uh, bloodline.golf is the website. And uh, as he mentioned on the Veil Putter, uh, they have a $50 off uh, the uh, uh, manufacturer's price. And you can check out all the information, some great videos there. Uh, and some great uh, uh, touring professionals have uh, put their finger, if you will, on this as well and their uh, essentially uh, talking up some great things and a lot of great reviews. So you definitely want to check that out. Uh, also, thanks again to Pete Buchanan and Sue Weaker for joining me um, on the show and the Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier on. appreciate your input always. Um, just a quick programming note, uh, there will be no show next week, which will be June the 8th. I'm going to be out of the area uh, and heading to Macklemore. I'm going to be joining my good friend John Hughes, of course, who's been a regular. Uh, we're going to go up there. He's doing some uh, 
some great uh, coaching up there at Macklemore right now, up in, in uh, just north of Atlanta. So I'm going to be joining him for a couple of days. So there won't be a show next Thursday, uh, but I'll be returning back on the 15th. But in the meantime, uh, every Tuesday morning, uh, you can join me on the Women of Golf, uh, the other show that I do Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the blogtalkradio.com, and you can uh, listen to Cindy and I, uh, Cindy Miller, of course, my co-host, uh, LPJ professional, and uh, some of the great young women, up-and-coming golfers on the Epson Tour. So make sure you tune in then. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf. But in the meantime, again, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you next time here on Golf Talk Live. God, be- God bless, everybody, and have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.